morning was the hour when nothing was. In the end and beginningless abyss, Jinnung agap, not even the sound of the wind, no sand, no lake, no cool waves, earth wasn't, not sky the high, Jinnung agap was. Contradicting itself becoming less than nothing, as if consumed by a flame that needs no fuel, it caused itself as a world fire, the fire Muspelheim, so called. Muspelheim was only as hot as that which it was not, for that which it was not was cold. Cold is what the snowstorm waves of Niflheim were. These waves were the primordial weather, that storm which caused the cosmic Rhymeis fog. Heated by the fire of Muspelheim, droplets formed into the Ur giant Ymer and the Ur cow Öd Humla. You see, everything in this world ice universe of ours is based on an eternal conflict between the powers of embers and frost. As Ymir drank of the antediluvian milk, Öd Humla in turn licked the first salt stone. On the third day a man appeared out of the salt named Bure. His son was Bor, whom with Bestla had three sons, Uden, Ville and Vea, that is mind, will and sacredness. These three gods slayed the giant Ymir and used his body to make Midgord, the Middle Earth where humans now live. And as you know, here they will live under the gods up above in Asgard, until the many signs of Ragnarök. First comes the Fimbul winter, which lasts three years, and then war as a result of crop failure and famine. Brother fights brother for what little is left. Society is collapsing and incest and whoredom prevail. The mountains collapse and the giantesses plunge helplessly into the sea and sink. The Fenris wolf breaks free now that the mountains he was chained to no longer exist and devours the sun, and his son hate devours the moon. The time of wolves prevails, announced by three roosters. Asanas Yullenkammer. Fjallar, the fire red of the giants. And the nameless, soot red one, with hail. The Midgord serpent rises in the sea, causing it to crash towards land in large tsunamis. There will be a flood and the great ship Nagelfar will break free. All of Yggdrasil, the Milky Way tree, shakes to its foundation and the people walk the road to here. Fire's own master, Sut, and the Muspelhord, those world undoers, emerge from Muspelheim and Sut wields a sword that shines brighter than the sun itself. The sky is splitting. The Fenris wolf, the Midgord serpent, the giants, the fire giants and Luke gather looking for war, crossing the world bridge Bifrost, which we see as the rainbow. 
Here waits God Heimdall to blow the Jallar horn, the horn of revocation. Now there is no mistaking, it has begun. Huddle in their burrows, everything and everyone fears. Odin rides to Mimer and asks for advice, and the gods hold one last thing the council of the last day. They decide to open the gates to Valhalla and Folkvong and all the Ain Harjar, those killed in battles throughout the ages, rush out and close up behind them. The battle stands on Vigrid's thousand-mile plain, where most finally die. Ragnarök is then over two people, Liv and Liv Trånad, who have survived. Go ashore and start a new life in the new Midgård, Gimle, guided in their hearts by the god of beauty's light, Balder. But the evil has not completely disappeared, as Nidhug, who gnaws at the roots of Yggdrasil, is still alive. So goes the symbolically elementary creation story of our Nordic forefathers. But dear students, our deteriorated degenerate times have since long separated us from this truth and we cannot readily return to its understanding. But wiser than doing nothing would be to partake of the rehabilitated, moon-gazing insight of Hans Herbiger. God, this is boring. Lisa turned in her seat towards Dora, imitating a puking gesture. Dora arranged her corset with one hand and moved about on the hard wooden chair of the auditorium. She gave off a short smile without letting her sight stray from the podium. Down there, the teacher's beady, inquiring eyes were searching for the source of the noise. 
Lisa Steiner, is there anything in particular you would like to allocate towards the apprehension of us others? What are you even talking about? Lisa mumbled under her breath as she went on to lift her head, dramatizing a face of exaggerated enthusiasm. None at all, Magister. Nothing in the slightest could enrich the present educative path which you are taking us on. Why, thank you, Fraulein Steiner. There now, allow me to continue. I kind of like the first part about the Viking saga, whispered Dora without leaning forward towards Lisa. The Magister cleared his throat loudly at the podium at the bottom of the room and continued. As one of Hans Herbiger's students wrote, the preparation for the latter birth of our solar world consists in nothing else than that first a smaller, heavily water-soaked and icy star, after a previous orbit, finally enters the glowing body of a gigantic hot star. This was once the case in the region of the constellation of the Dove, impossibly long ago. We call the gigantic glowing star of 200 million times the mass of our sun, the Star Mother. The Ice Star, with uh, at least 40,000 times the mass of our sun, the Iceling, or Capturer. A size comparison would bring the Mother Star to about the size of an apple and the captive to a size of a pea. At this ratio, our current solar sphere would just appear as the tiniest dot. The considerable size and strength of the Iceling means that it is not completely dissolved in the immediate vicinity of the glowing star. A significant remainder penetrates deep into the glowing body of the star mother and, and, and envelops itself there in a foamy cinder formation. In the course of perhaps thousands of decades, however, the cinder layer is gradually destroyed by the heat from accumulating embers. At the same time, the remainder of the icelings hidden in the slag shell gradually begin to liquefy and the meltwater is heated to the boiling point. Delayed boiling is understood to mean the phenomenon that calm water, which is as air-free as possible, only begins to boil at a higher than normal boiling point. This can result in a sudden and large development of steam, something leading to an explosion in steam boilers. All it takes is a little push, a little pressure relief. Now imagine what happens when such a catastrophe caused by boiling delay is triggered in the glowing body of the Star Mother. A gigantic explosion takes place, the violence of which is completely inconceivable by our standards. And in an intriguing roundabout we have, infinitely more enriched I might say, arrived at the nonsensical theory of the Relativitätsjude Einstein and his Catholic priest hangabouts theory of the Urknall, or the Big Bang as the Anglo-Saxons have decided to phrase it. A familiar bell echoed from outside the corridor, announcing the end of the class. The girls quickly got up as if one, and so was the entire room suddenly filled with the noise of departure. I hope you all took notes attempted the magister at the top of his voice, just short of screaming. There will be a short rehearsal and a test next week, 
Fraulein Steiner, that includes you, and I do not want to catch you plagiarizing Fraulein Suremenklove again. You are much too good for her, Dora, he finished inaudible amidst the noise of the leaving schoolgirls. Dora and Lisa hurried out of the university building, through the old bass and sturdy gate and out into the streets of München. A humming electric car drove by with the university principal and the city major. Engaged in an animated conversation, neither caught sight of the girls. Civilization's latest of equipage passed close enough to almost catch the students' long underdresses in the spoke of the slim wheels. The pavement was quickly filling up with people, chattering, bustling about in their Sunday finest, each hat, both men and women's, more baroque and elaborate than the next, in all the shades that grey and black have to offer. Gentlemen smoking cigars, smoking pipes, monocles and spectacles above greased moustaches and trimmed full beards of various varieties, watching their pocket watches even though they knew perfectly well what time it was, as the great bells of the Dom zu unserer lieben Frau called the whole city to church. Let's skip mass today, said Lisa with a cunning smirk. Really? But our parents will be there, replied Dora quickly. Just say we got lost in the studies at the library. You can barely hear the bells in there. They would only enjoy being told a story such as that. Besides, he only just came back from that uh, Wald Sanatorium in Davos. Dora, you deserve some time outside on your own with your best friend. Lisa linked her arm around Dora's and left off a playful giggle as they picked up their pace as much as their tight dresses allowed. You know it's midsummer next week. We have to get some flowers, continued Lisa as they took a turn and came out on Maximilianstrasse that would get them across the river Isar and eventually out of the city. Let's get a cart, the young lady urged her friend. Our acquainted uh, Greta opened a small winery at the Ebersberg castle while you were gone, and more importantly, let's say, she has prepared the most delightful meadow on the hills outside by hiring the local haymaker boys with their sights. I don't know, hesitated Dora without being able to conceal her interest. There are wild flowers from the whole of Mitteleuropa and Scandinavia that her father has received from the Cistercians. Very pan-Germanic. You will love it. We will be like Freya's shining tipsy daughters out in the fields with their dirty peasant boys. Who knows? Maybe we'll find her necklace. Lisa smiled. The Brisinga men, Dora filled in with a tone of importance. Ah yes, that's it, my dear. Lisa jumped into a stationary wagon and helped her friend aboard. Two black horses stood in front, eating hay that had been laid out on the street of cobblestones. The driver hastened out from a local bar, half full mass still in hand, which she put down at the driver's seat before turning and bowing hastily to the girls, presenting himself. Where to, Frauleins? To Berg Epesberg, as quick as these horses of yours can take us said Lisa with improvised authority. Oh, you would be surprised. Shall be, said the driver with a Hungarian accent and put his cap back on. 
Having taken his seat, the man whipped his whip lightly and made a noise that caused the horses to stop eating and start moving. The wooden wheels made a familiar sound as the iron shoes of the black beasts accompanied the whole end of our like a metronome. They rode through the busy streets in the opposite direction of the fine masses that were heading to the source of the sounding bells. Excitement rose within Dora trying to hide her face as she recognized a few families in the Societe stream of people. After a short while the stream ceased and the houses became smaller. So tell me now, my dearest friend, what it was like at that sanatorium on the magic mountain. Did you meet Thomas Mann? I heard a rumor that he was staying there now that his friend, the composer, died. You know Mahler. Oh, he's so handsome, no? Lisa hugged herself, her eyes upwards in dreaming delight. A tad bit old for you, is he not? Dora countered, frowning at her friend's eagerness to let the whole world know exactly what she was thinking about. That's what you want, though. A man, not a boy. What's the difference? Well, a man takes you, and you like it. A boy takes something away from you, and you don't like it. Lisa concluded and looked at her with that devious playfulness that Dora felt she had designed only to upset her. Anyways, he was not there, that I know of. Did you read his new book that came out while you were up there, The Death in Venice? I did. Well, what did you think of it? Is it not a bit dirty to imagine two men doing it with each other? Lisa tried again to get Dora to open up about her opinions regarding this the most deliciously entertaining matter she could think of. It is a bit neurotic, of course, but they would make for good male friends, I guess. Not spending every recurring minute trying to get their smelly fingers down into every nook and cranny of these so meticulously washed bodies of ours. Dora smiled for the first time, finishing her engaged statement. She looked at her friend as if to say, Okay then. Ha ha ha! Yes! Lisa clapped her hands loudly, letting out another heartful laugh. Those are the boys I talked about. After having raised a finger to accentuate the important distinction, Lisa leaned forward in the cart and tapped the driver on his shoulder. He was finishing his beer and turned around with a face which was that of someone caught doing something they shouldn't. Perhaps thinking things about the daughters of the bourgeoisie, which he shouldn't. Say, Horsemeister, started Lisa slowly, taking full opportunity of the startled man's humors. You wouldn't happen to have a cigar? The coachman looked relieved to be of service and fumbled around at the inside of his coat pockets. Why, certainly, Fraulein. Here you go. He handed over a cigar and a package of matches and bowed again before returning his gaze towards the horses and the road ahead that stretched forward through the landscape where the city was disappearing on either side. As the girls lit the cigar and the scented white cloud drifted behind them, the Bavarian countryside with its backdrop of tall alps started to spread out around them. Small cottages with thatched roofs, fields of green barley, wheat and hills, meadows with pasturing red cows. This is how a real folk should live said Dora and tasted the cigar. I hate the city. I hate the cars, the electric lights, and I hate the trains. I know you do, 
answered Lisa with a somewhat somber face, as she looked upon the indeed true hatred that had taken over her best friend's deep blue eyes. So whom will you dream of when we have put the collected flowers under our pillows on midsummer? she tried. Wait, I know. If it's not man... Why would it be man? Dora snapped. I said, if it is not man, then it is that new painter you've been talking about. What's his name? Herp something. Herpener. Hugo. He wants to be called Fidus though. Oh, that's the one. Well, what about him? Do you like? Lisa bumped her shoulder against Dora and took another drag on the cigar that rested between her fingers on the uplift hand, elbow now again on the armrest of the door. He would never care for someone like me. Why not? You look like the woman he paints over and over, a true Germanic Brynhilde, and he can be your Wotan, no? Dora blushed at the suggestion of her friend. A suggestion that had hit the mark of that which obsessively had occupied her dreams day and night during her stay at the sanatorium. Maybe, she admitted with a shy face. Very good, summarized Lisa, and smiled, glad to see the darkness disappear from Dora's inner ocean. The sky above appeared promising blue again. At a distance one could still see some snow on the top peaks of Mount Zugspitze. Look at that, Dora, said Lisa, full of concern for her friend. Like an agarint crystal with white, shining feldspar, don't you think? You're sweet, Lisa. I know I am. I'll always be here for you. We're here to ecstatically embrace this Bella Epoque together. Don't worry about those stupid trains. At this declaration, Dora leaned her head against her friend's shoulder and sighed, half with relief half with a distant gloom that neither of them could understand. Silver cello, the most snora, the Polgoriska liquor, the most trupo, the summoned trupo, the most mola, the master work, blow him Så 
säger att du vill ha din världskarta tillbaka. Blå himmel kommer. Blå himmel ska komma. After an hour or so, the console appeared in front of the cart to the left. A small byway slid up the hill, full of pledged mystique. Frying Greta von der Heid came out in a turquoise green dress on a small French balcony as they pulled up on the courtyard. Sisters! she screamed, her voice echoing against the old stone walls. What are you doing here? Dora and Lisa waved, paid the coachman, and saw Greta disappear from the balcony, hasting downstairs to greet them. They sat at a round cast iron table on chairs of the same set beneath a huge oak tree in the castle beer garden. They were not completely alone. A few other young couples and one small group of young ladies like their own from München had come out to enjoy the pleasant warm summer day. Greta poured the three of them a tall white glass each from the bottle that had been found in the castle keller and which she claimed might be from the Napoleonic Wars. What do you think of these latest uh, Swarovski glasses? My mother got them in Wien. They're not as expensive as the Zweisel, obviously, but people don't pay when they break things anymore. Drinking wine in a castle like this has become so bohemian. Wouldn't you agree? Greta laughed awkwardly at her own half-serious joke, seemingly not sure if she wanted to avoid offending her less noble friends or not. It's all gotten a bit much, Dora answered genuinely. All of it, she added, and gazed up towards an unreachable place somewhere in the above canopy of oak leaves. Dora, glistening with hopes for the future as usual, I see. Greta taunted and took a large sip of wine, admiring the glass by turning the fragile stem between her thumb and index finger. Lisa looked away from the sunlit red liquid towards Dora to see if Greta's insensitive remark had offended her. She seemed as if somewhere else, her eyes almost frightened. So we are going to one of Ibsen's plays tonight, Greta prodded, oblivious. Yes. My mother's society, uh, the Cosmic Circle, has reserved a box whenever his shows are on. Tonight the circle is off to Berlin to meet some people from the uh, Studiengruppe für Germanisches Altertum. I think it was. So me and Lisa have the seats all to ourselves, Dora said, suddenly returning from the large old tree. Oh, the study group for Germanic antiquity. 
I didn't know your mother knew people in the Tule Gesellschaft. No, she does. Tule as in uh, Hyperborea, Greta pretended even though she never read anything other than romantic novels for teenage girls. And that's that lost empire in the middle of the North Pole, which uh, Madame Blavatsky and what's-his-face that Frenchman speaks of, no? René Guillon, Lisa filled in abruptly, convinced that Greta had only brought them up to tease, since uh, her father's break with the Theosophical Society was all over the news. Could that possibly be true, though? Greta pushed further. Knud Rasmussen, the Norwegian explorer, recently discovered blonde Eskimos in Greenland, and you only need to study old maps to see that the evidence is overwhelming, Lisa defended herself. What exactly is the significance of that? Greta asked, obviously proud of her ignorance. Well, what if they had things just as fine as these thousands of years before the pyramids, Lisa said, holding up a saucer in the air, letting one of the biscuits drop to the ground. As I am sure you are aware, Dora went on in Lisa's stead, the whole German-speaking world is now looking towards Lisa's father, Rudolf, to guide us away from the Anglo-Saxon obsession with India and return to our real root race right here. I mean, to think that Jesus has been reborn as a brown oriental is really too much, even for the Londoners. Well, I cannot argue with that, Greta agreed and raised her glance to lighten the mood. To the Volksköper. Blut am Boden, the other answered and raised their glasses. A large flock of migratory birds flew in formation above the castle and landed behind the wall on the opposite side of the Biergarten. Greta followed them with her eyes and got up from her seat, having suddenly remembered something. Now ladies, finish your drinks. We really should get going if you want to find some flowers for midsummer. I'm sure you're both dying to see the meadows, and if you would be so kind as to invite me to your private box at the Kammerspiel tonight, then I have another botanical surprise for you two. She finished her drink and put down her glass with a soft touch and a mysterious smile that caught both of the others' interest. Yes, you may gladly be our guest, dear. Come now, what's this surprise you talk about? Lisa insisted. No, 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 not yet. Let's pick flowers like good girls first. It's just behind the wall there, where the Vanderfergel went down. Back in the city, Dora was reading at her study in a corner of the living room, enjoying the empty flat in the absence of mother. She had never met father, the Bohemian Countess of Schwabing, as the press called her only parent, was not one to kiss and tell, though she did kiss quite a lot. Some so-called journalists had speculated that it was the impasto painter Adolf Edward Herstein, though never really cared enough to speculate. Darkness was setting outside and she went off to light some candles when there was a familiar knock on the door. Lisa and Greta bustled in, clearly more tipsy than they had been at the castle. Dora, aren't you getting ready? Greta asked loudly as she went straight into the living room, standing on the 4x4-meter rug, examining the furniture and paintings on the wall. My, my, she remarked with her usual aristocratic ambivalence. 
What are you reading? asked Lisa more caring, standing next to her friend who had returned to her seat by the window with a view of the Marienplatz. Stefan Georg, said Dora, before looking at Greta, who had sat herself down in front of the Beckstein-Flügel, trying out the keys. I don't think I'll come tonight. I don't really feel up for it, she continued. But you are welcome to stay here, though, obviously, she tried louder when Greta started playing Mahler's Ich ging mit Lust. I went with pleasure. With that dreadfully boring attitude, I think it is time for your botanical surprise. The Freien said without looking up from the piano, switching to the latter Selbstgefühl, self-esteem piece. Dora began to change her mind as she recognized Greta's mysterious smile from earlier, that afternoon in the Beergarten, when the sky was still blue. The other took a break from the keys and held up a bottle of clear liquid. Out with it already, Lisa said smiling. What is it? Oh, this! <laughs> Only something which will cure every last conceivable minute trace of your anxiety. According to darling Sigmund, that is. A shlomo, perhaps, but a darling nonetheless, I tell you. Go on, said Dora, somewhat impatient with her friend's attention-seeking theatrics. She was sure her acquaintance had never met the psychoanalyst. Coca soda, dear. Soda coca. Those last shall soon be first. Have just the tiniest sip. She grinned and threw the bottle towards Dora at her chair in front of the desk. Dora missed the catch and the bottle fell on Stefan Georg's poem Fire of the Blood before rolling away unharmed into a corner. Dora picked it up and unscrewed a small cap. She took a tiny sip as administered and handed the bottle to Lisa. As if struck by lightning even before Lisa had received the medicine, she was blown away. What is this feeling? She screamed towards Greta who could not stop laughing. Ceases, Dora, ceases. Play that last tune again. The Selbstgefühl, she instructed Greta with unprecedented reassured demonor that now also forced Lisa to start laughing when she took her sip, passing the bottle back to Greta by the flügel. Greta had a larger sip than the others and threw back her hair, straightening her back like a wild cat. You want to hear the still warm in the grave revenant tunes of Gustav Mahler? Well, so shall you be heard and now receive. Self-esteem it is. She started playing and Dora started singing. I don't know what's wrong with me. I'm not ill and I'm not well. I am wounded and have no wound. I have no wound, the others chimed in. I don't know what's wrong with me. I'd like to eat, but nothing tastes. I have got money, but it's worth nothing. I don't know what's wrong with me. I'd really like to get married, but cannot bear the sound of crying kids. I don't know what's wrong with me. Only today I asked the doctor. He told me straight to my face. I know what's wrong with you you are quite clearly just a fool now i know what's wrong with me 
I am a fool! The others finished in chorus and laughed as Lisa blew open a bottle of Brut Prestige Cuvée. Dora was lying in bed, listening to her mother talking to the doctor outside the room. Just as the whistleblower in the play had revealed how someone had poisoned the mineral spa in the city. Ecstatic, she had drunk half of the botanic bottle at the theatre. The voices had returned with a vengeance, ordering her to jump out into the arms of the audience below. Greta and Lisa had saved her just in time and brought her back home guarding her until mother returned. No, I don't want her to see that Shlomo Jew, the female voice instructed just outside a slightly open door. Dora could not see anyone, only a slim stream of orange light entered her otherwise completely darkened room. Those voices are not a neurosis, they are angels trying to tell her about her destiny. She just needs to learn how to listen. Can you not get Dr. Jung to see her? The Bohemian Countess explained to the doctor. He will know what to do. He will present the matter in a more appropriate Aryan context so that the poor child can understand. The doctor didn't seem to agree but had no choice but to promise that he would make the appointment. So um, I'll be seeing you later, he finished in a different tone. You'll see nothing and be happy with it, her mother cut him off furiously. Get me young, or I'll see to it that every salon in the city discusses your perverted wants by the end of the week. The doctor, tail on fire, left the house. Dora could hear her mother stumbling about nervously in the living room. Next day at noon, outside the clinic, they met another analysand who informed them that Jung was not available, apparently away on business in Switzerland. He's up with that schizoid Russian Jew again. The countess bursted out at the innocent man, who jumped a bit at the accusation. Uh, Frau Spielrein? No, I don't think so, now that uh, she has just sided with Freud regarding Karl's break with the association. Karl? Really? As if you're that close? Pretentious. Anyway, it doesn't matter. He's a gold-digging wannabe, probably back to whore at the gates of Schaffenhausen. Let's go, Dora. I could recommend you to Dr. Otto Gross, the startled man said who was becoming ever more red and intimidated. You could, could you? I'm sure you know fucking everyone. But isn't he a morphinist? I think, uh, I think he's clean. He has uh, started a Lebensreform sanatorium somewhere in Ascona together with Ida Hoffman. Ida Hoffman? The pianist? Isn't she together with that Transylvanian Fandafogelbaum? Gusto. That, that would be her brother-in-law, but uh, Gustav is no longer a part of the commune. Ida, Otto and Karl are, are in charge now. They practice vegetarianism and some kind of sun worship. I heard Rudolf von Laban is due to arrive to introduce his dance therapy, 
supposedly the air up there have extremely naturopathic qualities. Yes, 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 enough of your gossip. Out with it. Where are they before you burst, mister? You look redder than a strangled hog. You should really see a doctor. Well, that, that's why I'm here at the clinic. You see, my wife, whatever. Do I look like a receptionist to you? What's the name of the place? Monteverita, the man finished hissing, tucking at his collar. Monteverita, let's see, said the countess, literally tasting the words in her mouth, trying to remember. Thank you very much, Helen, Dora finished, embarrassed by her mother's general conduct. Not at all. See you around, my ladies, the man replied quickly, bowed and hastened away, looking over his shoulder as the women went off in the opposite direction, down the busy streets of the Bavarian capital, feeling a relief he had not felt since his wife said yes for the first time. The train took off from München Hauptbahnhof the next day. Tickets in hand, they sat down in their private bedded coupé while two young boys in funny hats brought in their travel coffers. Dora's mother had received a small informative pamphlet about the sanatorium from her Tule Society friend, Maria Orsic, the ufologist, which she studied in silence once the conductor had received their tickets. We will get off at Locarno by Lake Maggiore. It is located among the southern Alps of the Italian-speaking part of Switzerland. I hope you remember your Italian. I never learned Italian, Dora answered, looking out the window as the interior of the station started to move backwards. Oh yes, of course, you took French. Dora didn't answer. Never mind, there seems to be a very pan-Germanic crowd up there. Somewhat European. I mean, mein Gott, reading this list, you would think everybody has been. Hermann Hesse, Franz Kafka, ah, the von Richthofen sisters, very classy. <laughs> Herbert Georg Wells, some Londoner, I guess. He wrote The War of the Worlds, you know, that space roman your friend Maria, the ufologist, was raging about. Oh, really? She gave me this pamphlet, you know. Anyways... Hugo Ball, who I heard is taking over the theater here in München. I'm not sure about him. Seems to be a child in a man's body for all I care. Here now, Karl Kautsky, the social democrat. Sounds worrying. But then again, some German history would only do you good should you meet him. Seems that the writer you've been reading, uh, Stefan Georg, has been already. That sounds nice, actually. Some Russian names I don't recognize. Lenin, Trotsky, Krapotkin, probably some Slavic occultists. It's getting big now. You should meet some of my Hungarian friends when you come back. Oh, what's this if it isn't Karl Wilhelm Diefenbach and his student Hugo Höppener? You're pulling my leg, right? Is Fidus in Ascona on Monteverita? Dora looked back from the window for the first time, eyes wide as saucers. That's what it says here. Oh, mother, what should I do? Her face turned pale. Oh, you know, just be yourself. He will come around. The pamphlet states here there will be some kind of pagan passages of rite called nude swimming and sunbathing. 
You will not have to do much to catch his interest, I'm sure. Do not embarrass me, mother. You will certainly keep your underdress on. These are not animals, they have business to run. A long-lasting midsummer dusk started to settle outside the train. Dinner was served in the restaurant coupé. Venison with red wine sauce, kartoffel and foraged mushrooms. A gentleman from Köln came over to introduce himself, but the countess brushed him off while her daughter studied the mushrooms in embarrassment. After dinner, as they passed through Liechtenstein, Dora imagined that the Alps would be disappearing forever once they reached the Sankotad tunnel. She stretched out on her bed, already lost in daydreams. She had developed a technique which she uh, had tried to convince Lisa of. The premise of the practice, which her friend didn't seem attuned to, was that one would picture thoroughly and deeply what one wanted to dream of, and then once asleep these images would come alive in a very vivid and lucid manner, granting the dreamer pre-conscious control of their innermost. Freud had suggested in the Traumdeutung that what was generally called dreams was actually a kind of wish fulfillment. Thus one only needed to let oneself know what one wished for, Dora reasoned. She took out the collection of seven flowers which she had brought from Greta's meadow. Unfortunately, she had not found any seven round pole fences to step backwards over, as it said in the Scandinavian Magie book she had read. But she had skipped church and not been since, so maybe it would work anyway. She tucked up her pillow and put the flowers underneath while her mother went out towards the latrine to brush her teeth. She would marry Fidus and they would live eternally in the damp, solid, nowhere darkness of the Songkotad Massif.
Please, mother, don't follow me all the way up to the commune. Then I'll just be the girl who came with her mother. Yes, yes, I'll stay here in the village for a while and then head back to Locarno. I already booked myself into one of the Castellos there, since I had a feeling you would get like this. Thank you, mother. Dora hugged her mother and held her tight. Don't tell anyone, the countess began as their bodies separated. I have a date with Theodore Royce. It is he who has made the reservation. Is it not the most mysteriously romantic thing you have ever heard? Theodore Royce? Mein Gott, why? He's a spy for the Preussische Geheimpolizei. Oh, please, mother. Dora looked confused. She started to wonder if it wouldn't be better, after all, if mother stayed in the commune for a night. That political stuff is all secondary. Who cares? I'll have you know more importantly that the founder of the Hermetic Order of the Golden Dawn has initiated him in the Swedenborgian Rite so that he could become a Gnostic bishop and found the Ordo Templi Orientis here in Germania. We're going to find our Folkish roots together with the help of Rune Tantra. Does that not sound exciting to you? I know how you love all that Scandinavian stuff. Yes, mother, but they are brotherhoods. What possible use could they have of you being a woman? It's not like the cosmic circle back home. No buts now, dear. The OTO is the way of Baldur's light. Trust me. Besides, why do you think these boys get all dressed up and play these charades? It's to impress us women. It's all peacocking. The cosmic circle is getting boring. All they do is read and go to theater. This Bella Pock gotta be a new age for rituals to enchant the world. Okay, but be careful, mother. You know I told you I don't think König Ludwig killed himself. He was caught up in this new flare of brotherhoods. Mind shuts. Enough of these conspiracy theories. Don't worry about your old mother. She knows her way around. It is you who should be careful who still believe so naively in free love. Promise me you take care of yourself up there and do not give it all to that painter. I'm not ready to be a grandmother just yet. I'm not that old. Oh, mother. Dora hugged her again and then they departed smiling. Clouds came rolling down the mountains surrounding the quiet lake, dividing the summer sky from her earth. Hello and welcome to Monte Verita, Ida Hoffman began, standing on a small podium in front of the sanatorium, surrounded by greenery. Dora listened amongst a small group of newcomers dressed in city clothes which drastically separated them from the inhabitants of the hill, some of which didn't seem to bother with clothes at all. You have all come here because you have seen what we have seen, Ida Hoffman continued with a reassuring loud voice. One day, when you will have been dead for 80 years, you will get a clearer perspective on life. You will see that the world then will be pretty much just as it is now. This world which we grew up in. Globalization, raw capitalism, financial crises, foreign wars, 
fast communication spanning the globe. What it basically means is that a few people has gotten filthy rich, while the rest stays poor as usual. You newcomers and us already here, we are the filthy rich. And we just want to get away, to freak out if you like. And that is why we have established here among us a vegetarian commune and a health center for all those who are fed up with the hypocrisy of our society. Because everyone where I came from was under that great consumption hypnosis. Cheap imports from all over the world. Telephones for everyone. Wireless telegraphs. The Atlantic Cable. New York to London millions of times back and forth before even the sun or her clouds have traveled the same distance. Electric cars with rechargeable batteries. Advertisement, fashion magazines, celebrities, cosmetic surgery. Is this really the way to happiness? When Ida had finished her welcoming speech, Dora went off to her designated chalet, guided by her new older sisters. As they walked through the gardens and vegetable fields, she saw unembarrassed naked older men working with shovels in the dirt. As they passed, the men merely waved and went on with their labor. The older sisters didn't seem to pay them any attention besides waving back. Where am I? Dora thought to herself. And more importantly, where is Fidus? The next day, after a breakfast consisting of some odd-looking steamed vegetables, bread with eggs and coffee, no one came to tell her what she was supposed to do or what the schedule of the day was. So she just took a stroll with one of the other new girls who apparently had come all the way from Norway. When Dora asked why she had come, she just looked off into the distance without saying anything. Then she suddenly said, I think I tried to kill someone. You don't remember? No, I remember it perfectly. I'm just not sure it was me. It was my muscles, definitely my hand, and the knife from my kitchen, but I don't think it was me doing it. No thoughts that could be recognized as my own were going through my head as it happened, and the man whom I tried to kill had never occupied my mind before the incident. Who was it? The king of Sweden, Gustav V. You're kidding, right? No. But why? A voice inside my head was telling me that he was a homosexual and that he had become an embarrassment to the whole Scandinavian aristocracy. I didn't even know what that meant and now that I do I don't have a problem with it. None at all. I wouldn't mind sleeping with you for example. You have kind eyes and you smell really good. Dora blushed and decided not to ask any more questions. The girl seemed obviously deeply troubled and would probably not even be able to answer anyway. Do you love someone? The girl asked in the same distant, sudden fashion as before. I do, said Dora, not blushing anymore. I can feel it. My mother says that's why I try to do what I try to do. She says love is a drive. I'm not sure what that means, but 
She says it breaks down your social inhibitions and that if you love too much, you can become dangerous. That's why she sent me here, to be among others who have lost themselves in love. Who do you love so much that you had to come here? Dora waited but kept walking, not sure if she would answer. She had never confessed about Fidus in that way to anyone. He's a painter, but uh, I have never met him. But I know it's me whom he paints over and over again. It's as if he is calling out to me, asking for me to come to him, telling me he needs me. That's the most beautiful thing I have ever heard, the girl from Norway said. A few tears ran down her face. They came through a small thicket of trees and entered a grassy patch on the side of the hill with a view of the lake. The morning was as calm as last evening, if not calmer. The lake looked like melting glass, half absorbing, half reflecting the newborn red sun above the clouds that covered the mountain at the end of the valley. A group of people sat in a half circle by the edge of the grassy patch. The girls decided to join them. When they came closer they could see that the sitting people all had their eyes closed and sat with their legs crossed like tailors. The girls stopped and became unsure if they should move closer so as not to disturb them. A young man with a calm, handsome face turned around, half opened his eyes and signaled to the girls with his outstretched hand to sit down at either edge of the half circle so that they could face the lake and the sunrise. Dora closed her eyes and felt the sun's rays against her face becoming warmer. It was a bit uncomfortable to sit like this, but after a while her legs fell asleep and she could only feel the increasing warmth on her cheeks. She could feel herself drifting away to that place she had dreamt of on the train. The damp, dark nowhere in the middle of the mountain was slowly lighting up. At first rays streamed in quietly from a cave opening over there, then from another over there. Before she knew it the darkness had become a fully lit underground cathedral of stalagmite and stalactites. In the middle of the great hall at a place where the dripping sediment joined, a shape was manifesting before her closed eyes. A thousand year process was uncovering its beauty in a matter of minutes when finally there was the face of Fidus in wet, pure, white oyster chalk. She reached out to touch the expressing pearl, when an unfamiliar sound like that of hitting an empty metal bowl pulled her back to the grassy patch. When Dora opened her eyes, Fidus sat next to her on the previously empty spot at the end of the half-circle. He too was slowly opening his eyes, and when they met her own, he smiled. Gently he reached out and held her hand. The months with Fidus on Monte Verita passed by. Summer was the sound of cuckoos, full moons in the autumn, chilly winds in winter, spring, flowers, and then summer again. Everything became a stream of lived experience unhindered by calendar dates made to stand out by something as arbitrary as someone's birthday, the opening of a new show or symphony at the opera or the theatre. Here was none of that, only life itself and Fidus.
his colors capturing the things they did, elevating it to the sublime of the Norse gods. Occasionally Lisa would write and Dora would answer, but it was undeniable that if her friend did not soon join her up here, they would drift apart. Sometimes her mother would write as well about the OTO, Theodore Reuss and his rune tantra. She couldn't tell if her mother was going crazy or if she herself was simply no longer part of the same world. Then the girl from Norway died. She committed suicide by drinking poison. Otto Gross, the doctor, had administered it, but it was not as pain-free as the girl had expected. For an entire day she wept in agony before she passed away. Otto Gross defended himself, saying that she had been really sick and that her parents had planned to come and pick her up. Pressured by the authorities back home, she would have faced a future in an insane asylum, and that was, as he said, a fate far worse than death. Dora felt confused by the sudden change of mood. It wasn't just the death of the girl she had met on her first day. Something else was happening in Europe. War was coming. Everyone felt it. When Titanic had sunk the spring before Dora arrived, everyone in the commune had thought that industrialism would simply give up and declare its defeat. It was just a matter of time and all they had to do was wait it out. Then war did come and everything sort of lost direction. Otto had to flee from the Prussian secret police for his psychoanalytic explanations of why the Germanic people and the rest of the European tribes had gone to war. It did not help that his father, who was a famous lawyer and criminologist of the war-hungry state, had declared him insane. The world out there was becoming more evil, but it was hard to conceive of a way for Monteverita to become more good. Why was their love not enough for Europa? When the war finally ended, the author from Prague, whom Dora's mother once had spoken of on the train, returned to the commune. Dora met him by accident as she had been invited by one of the Wandervogels to the dwelling of Gusto, who had been excluded from the commune so many years before. Gusto had remained partially accepted by the management of the vegetarian sanatorium, since after all, he had been one of its founders. He lived an ascetic life in a cave an hour or so away, where his guests would bring him food and where some decided to stay with the curious man for months. Some said he looked like Jesus and Dora agreed from seeing his picture in the office. When she arrived, Gusto was not there but due to return the next week. The writer from Prague told her after introducing himself as Franz Kafka. Dora had heard that this Kafka also had news of Otto Gross. Rather than explaining the ins and outs of his friend's legal battle with his father and the apparatus which that father represented, the author asked if he could read her a piece from his new book that was meant to expose the subject. It has not yet been released. I am to call it the process, as in a judicial process. And this would be the first proofreading, I guess. I might just call it a trial, we will see. Why, of course, said Dora, 
and sat down on a rock with a deer skin to listen. Before the law, there stands a god. A man comes from the country begging admittance to the law. But the god cannot admit him. Can he hope to enter at a later time? That is possible, says the god. The man tries to peer through the entrance. He had been taught that the law should be accessible to every man. Do not attempt to enter without my permission, says the god. I am very powerful, yet I am the least of all the gods. From hall to hall, door after door, each god is more powerful than the last. By the god's permission, the man sits down by the side of the door, and there he waits. For years, he waits. Everything he has, he gives away in the hope of bribing the god, who never fails to say to him, I take what you give me, only so that you will not feel that you have left something undone. Keeping his watch during the long years, the man has learned to know even the fleas in the god's fur collar. And growing childish in old age, he begs the very fleas to persuade the god to change his mind and allow him to enter. His sight is dimmed, but in the darkness he perceives a radiance streaming immortally from the door of the law. And now, before he dies, all his experience condenses into one question, a question he has never asked. He beckons to the god. Says the god, you are insatiable, what is it now? Says the man, every man strives to attain the law. How is it then? that in all these years, no one else has ever come here seeking admittance. His hearing has failed, so the god yells into his ear, no one else but you could ever have obtained admittance. No one else could enter this door. This door was intended only for you. And now, I'm going to close it. tale is told during the story called The Trial. It has been said that the logic of this story is the logic of a dream, of a nightmare. Dora walked back to the sanatorium with the author who was to catch a train to the lowlands the next day. None of them spoke. She felt deeply touched by what she had heard in Gusto's cave, even though the host had been absent. She had not given the old world much thought since she left, not even during the war. With the parable of the gate of the law, an uncanny feeling returned. What if she was declared insane like Otto, or the young girl from Norway? Would she drink poison, or would she fight an endless fight? Monte Verita was changing, and different kind of people started arriving for seemingly different reasons. Their Ariosophy and their understanding of the hill as a project for the root race to find its forgotten home in a decaying world first appeared the same as everyone else's. 
But then a nagging feeling started to take form in Dora's thinking that these people wanted to eat the cake and have it. They wanted to maintain the natural social relations of the peasant countryside, while at the same time increasing the speed of the industrial wheels that had just tried to devour it with machine war. They invented new runes without any real concern for the inherited traditions and kept referring to the olden Norse days before the flood in ways that seemed unnecessarily political and hostile. One spring afternoon her mother's friend Theodore Royce arrived with a young entourage. As Valpurgis arrived he organized an orgy. At first Dora didn't feel like joining but since Fides seemed so inspired by her mother's friend and his ways she decided to join. The man held a speech that expressed the general philosophy of the community, but then again, just like the others who had been visiting more recently, something was added that made Dora feel an uncanny resentment towards their civilizational discontent. We are caught in a continuous fall. Prisoners of the Adamic Circle, Theodore Royce began in a nave-inspiring tone. The poles have tilted. The axis mundi of the Golden Age no longer stands straight as it once did. Gone are the days when this astronomical balance allowed our forefathers to walk an earth of eternal spring. The twelve zodiacs and the seven visible planets are not in their right place. The arctic hyperborea Thule, the Aryan cradle, has become uninhabitable. The awkward angle of 23 and a half degrees is a cursed number and we must lift this curse, placed on our father's sphere by Solomon's warlocks. We Aryans are called to action by Akhenaton, who is but one of many in a long lineage of upholders who has attempted to return the harmony of the one true sun god. It was he who cast out the Semitic tribes and their desert magic from the lush pyramidic lands. The exodus was decreed so that Ra could once again walk in harmony. Always waking up at six, always reaching his zenith at noon, and being allowed to rest again at six. Day after day in a perfect 360 day circle of his year. In his resurrected world there would be no need for energy spent on migration such as that of their evige wandering Jew. Animals young could be raised at any time of the year and the food for it would never be wanting. Children of the Teutonic legacy, join me and let's together turn back the great clock of the equinoxes until they cease to bear meaning. Let's journey to the days without seasons, when each full moon would disappear for a few hours behind the shadow of our earth. The monthly eclipse is our only mark the great seal. Come now, children, 
Let's jump out of time entirely, once and for all. Commence the orgy of Valpurgis. She lay among the naked people in front of the painted bodies of the fresco that surrounded the oval room and its dome. Dora thought that she and Fidus would use this moment to show the newcomers what they had learned about love during their many years on the hill. Their own hill, which at times had resembled paradise. But instead of her riding him in front of an audience of mesmerized youngsters, he took one of them, the youngest, by the hand. Dora looked helplessly towards them as someone entered her, wearing a Greek theater mask. With her head bending backwards upside down, she looked towards the entrance of the room, following the new couple as they reached the gates, ready to leave. What was it that he wanted to share with this girl that he had just met, but with no one else? And if that was what he really wanted, why was she no longer the one he wanted to share it with? Oh, please don't walk out of those doors, Dora thought. Even though she herself had walked in and out of those doors more than a hundred times without feeling anything in particular, she knew now that if Fidus walked away, nothing would ever be the same again. My dear, can't you see me here? Have you forgotten? Are you drunk? Someone is taking your precious little Dora before you even have had the honors. Do you no longer care? Fidus turned around and Dora felt her heart racing. But then she saw it. He wasn't looking at anything in particular. He had that gaze which he wore when painting landscapes. She was no longer in his canvas as her. Just one of many, celebrating the fuck. The man with the Greek mask who had been thrusting against her leaned forward as her head came back to its natural position. She let off an uncomfortable outbreath that was mistaken for delight. She could feel the man smiling behind the smiling mask. Your mother sends her regards, and now that I know you are doing really well, I'll send her yours. The man stank of something she had forgotten. It was meat. Cooked, hairy, bratwurst meat. Like some kind of fucking primitive animal. After the orgy and the betrayal of Fidus, Dora retreated for a month to Gusto's cave. This time Gusto was there. They spoke late into the night around the fire every time the sun went down. They watched the stars and their constellations move across the sky. Little by little what she had once felt for Fidus started to transmigrate. The man in her daydreams from the time back in München with Lisa, Greta and the others was now Gusto. It had never been Fidus. They began to make love in the cave. Gusto said he had not loved anyone since he had become a samsaric wanderer. Ten dark years of loneliness had passed. 
the residue of which was now fermenting with the addition of the one new ingredient that was Dora. Bubbling, tingling, she asked him, Will you take me with you? Let's be Vanderfogel together. We are her migratory birds. Teach me how you fly so elegantly up there. This life is not as romantic as we have just experienced it, he said, but without any trace of regret or melancholy. I don't mind. I am ready. I believe so too. But dark days are coming. Worse than those that have been. Another war will be fought. I am sure of it. We will escape. I do not wish to escape. So what can we do? I am not sure yet, and that is why I cannot bring you under my wing. But you will eventually, when the time is right? Dora inquired and felt herself overflowing with greed to be with Gusto always. Yes, eventually. I promise. I am a brother to you. I wish to be worthy of your affection, so as to make our purpose the same on this earth, to love and follow his direction. Bis du dabei sind, wieder bei uns zu verlieren. 
bist du dabei, sind wieder bei uns zu verlieren. Ich bin dabei, bist du dabei, sind wieder bei uns zu verlieren. Dora left Gusto's cave, once again deep in thought. When she came back to her chalet, night was setting. Fidus was waiting there with a small group of people. Her mother's other friend, Maria Orsic, and her followers, whom she introduced as Traute, Sigrun, Gudrun and Heike, all welcomed her, keeping Fidus in the background. When Dora told them she didn't want to see him anymore, he left at their instructions, as if completely under a spell. We want to show you something, they said. They walked into Dora's small chalet and sat down on the floor together. You know that man who came here, who organized the orgy? Yes, I know, Dora answered without enthusiasm, staring at the floor. Well, he's a charlatan and he will not be coming back here. We have expelled him, as we just expelled Fidus. You do not have to worry about either of those ever again. Dora looked up at the women sitting in front of her in the small room. They all had long hair in ponytails and dressed in strange clothes with runes and symbols on them. Thank you, but why did you do that? We are your sisters. We are members of an organization called the Old German Society for Metaphysics, or simply De Vril, the innermost core of the Thule Society. Maria paused and looked at Dora with a friendly face. Okay, I'm sure that's all well and fine. I'm, I'm grateful, you see, but I'm no longer interested in secret brotherhoods or sisterhoods. Dora tried, tired of meeting new people. One of the ladies laughed heartily and reached out to touch Dora's knee. Her hand was cool to the touch, not cold, more like a stone from Gusto's cave. The feeling was pleasant on a warm summer night. We are not just some group of friends of worldly interests, religious or political. We are beings from another world. We come from the Aldabaran the brightest shining star in the constellation of the ox. Aldabaran means companion. And our home is so called, for it follows the Pleiades. Come with us outside and we will show you. Dora felt her uneasiness disappear as the ladies stood up together, smiling. When one of them reached out her hand, she agreed to follow them outside. You see the three wise men of the belt of Orion? Yes, I do. 
you follow that line upwards and further away from the winter triangle and lo and behold there you have her our home I don't understand Dora said quietly gazing at the red star wondering what something like that would be like the lady from before laughed softly again mein Schatz don't you understand you are one of the Pleiadians and we your companions have come to take you home your ship is waiting for you in a castle not too far away from here it's being guarded by the order of the new Templars and its Grand Master Jörg Lanz von Liebenfels he's the one who gave those wild flowers to your friend's meadow do you remember yes I do remember very good come with us now quickly I'm sorry but we don't have much time I will explain more on the way they walked down the main road of the hill that Dora had not used since she first came to the sanatorium years before at the base of the hill where the small road became part of the bigger route from Ascona there stood a cart with horses the long-haired Aldabaranians took their seats after Maria stepped up into the cart the tallest Traute with the friendly laugh and the cool hands grabbed the reins of the horse harness Dora remained on the road not sure what to do come now my treasure Maria urged her you will be safe with us we are all virgins where we come from there is no deceit there are no obscuring fumes from the factories no pollution of the world around you or inside you no oil have been taken from the earth we only use magnetic energy can't you feel it what you all your life have called curiosity was in fact always us calling you home Dora stepped up into the cart and sat down on the soft warm seat in the middle between Sigrun and Gudrun the three of them facing Maria and the fifth sister that's it my dear now if you will only eat with us then I will tell you how we came this far Heike the fifth and the quietest of them reached into a bag and took out five odd looking biscuits I'm sorry for the inconvenience she said but we have no saucers for this at the moment the others all laughed and Dora laughed with them even though she did not understand the point of the joke the biscuits tasted bitter what is this she asked and gulped it down oh that is the darkness of your dreams Hypnos and his half-brother Thanatos gave them to us the others laughed again but Dora remained quiet it will help you relax it's Poppy from the meadows we know how much you love flowers and with that they rode together in silence for a while Dora started to feel lightheaded and lost track of time after what seemed much longer than the short while she was first promised a river appeared to the side of the road they passed the final curve and came out along a smaller path that seemed to end at a place further along where the river narrowed in between two ravines which almost met over there where mountains seemed almost joined she could see a castle 
poking out into the waters. The building was artificially lit up with hundreds of torches. Its foundation looked as if cut out directly from the very sharp cliffs. As they came closer she could distinguish a large banner flowing in the wind. It was bright yellow with a red symbol surrounded by three blue fleur de lys. She recognized the red cross symbol as a turned around Hindu sun wheel from the books of Madame Blavatsky and the paintings of Fido's teacher. You said you would tell me how we had managed to get this far, Dora said, looking at Maria with drugged eyes, losing her consciousness with every breath. Yes, dear, you deserve to know what role you are to play in this. You see, a few months ago I was called to arrange a seance with some of the high-up military men of the Tula Society. The purpose of the seance was to contact their late leader, Dietrich Eckhart. In my trance I was shown how 500 million years ago our ancestors from Aldabaran came to this earth to make a colony. Then there was a great flood and the antediluvian survivors who had escaped to the Himalayas, the Scandis and the Andes became the three Aryan races. All this is common knowledge for people like us, of course. However, after their historical greeting, they transferred to me technical data, which an electrophysicist present at the gathering translated. It was in this way that Winfried Otto Schumann, professor at the Technical University of München, came into possession of blueprints that were used to build a ship that is to take us home. High above the cart, nothing but a faint silhouette in the darkness, an eagle cried out, echoing against the deep mountain sides of the valley. Dora looked towards the castle with its torches that were being reflected in the river. At the stony shore of the clear water, a boat was tied, and there too stood someone with a torch. As they pulled up next to the small wooden boat, the entourage got off the cart with Dora, who now had to be carried. The man with the torch wearing a white tunic greeted them in silence and helped them on board. Has she received the final medicine? the man asked, as he pushed them away from the shore. Not yet. Heike, the mushrooms, if you would be so kind. Heike reached into her bag and fetched out a dried mushroom cap. Maria looked at Dora and said gently, You have had the black, that was the biscuit. Now you shall have of the red and white as prescribed. I thus present you with the Amanita Muscaria. Dora, incapable of resisting, felt her mouth being opened by Sigrun and Gudrun as they proceeded to mechanically chew the dry piece for her by moving her jaws with their hands. She coughed and tried to spit the foul-tasting substance out of her mouth, but it was quickly becoming a smooth slur that went down against her will as Traute held her cool hand against her mouth. As the boat moved closer to the castle, Dora could hear a deep drumming from the inner courtyard. She lay perfectly still, tied to some kind of stretcher in the middle of the group, looking upwards. Somebody was chanting. 
Maria's head appeared above her. The medium looked at her as she spoke from a very far away place, her face merging with the starry sky in the background. You are doing so well, sister. This is your last task. Before we leave, we must bring with us the Aryan seeds from this world to start a new colony. The Templars have organized it all. The ceremony will be quick and painless. Please don't do this. You don't have to do this to me. Dora pleaded in a faint whisper. Shh. Come now. Relax. Allow the medicine. Someone lifted the stretcher off the boat and there were white tunics all around her on the sides, carrying her up a stretch of stone stairs. The corridor was narrow and damp and it smelled of disgusting meat again. As they arrived out on the castle courtyard, she saw a large bell-looking construction the size of a small village square. It stood a few meters off the ground on a tripod of sturdy rubber wheels. Silently a door opened on the side of the round bell ship. The door folded itself out and became what looked like a suspension bridge that reached the sand on the ground below. Everything danced like red and orange snakes around her in the light of the many torches. Please don't do this, Dora pleaded again towards Maria. Don't be a silly girl. You have to. But I don't want to. You don't know what you want. This is what is best for our planet's hygiene. Just do your part and we will soon be on our way home. The white tunics carried the stretcher up into the bell ship. It was almost all dark in there but a few windows which let in the dreadful light of the torches. Awful shadows moved about on the interior of the ship. Dora started to cry. Stop it, please! I do not belong to you! By what right have you taken me? A tall figure appeared at the entrance with a Greek mask. The smile from the orgy had turned upside down. As he slowly approached her, there was a sudden loud bang outside. A bright light surrounded them, blinding everything into a sharp whiteness. There were shouts and noises from outside the bell ship. The tall figure turned on the spot and ran out into the sharp white light, followed by the others. The noises became louder and everything was spinning. Dora tried to scream. Suddenly she heard a megaphone voice through all the commotion outside that reflected itself as theatrical silhouettes and echoes on the walls of her prison. This is the Kurt Eisner Brigade of the Bavarian Soviet Republic. We have the castle surrounded. Come out with your hands above your heads or you will be fired upon. I repeat, come out with your hands above your heads or you will be fired upon. There was a short moment of silence, and through the open door of the ship, behind the castle wall, against the illuminated backdrop of the mountain, Dora could see the source of the light. A flare was drifting slowly down towards the river like a falling star with a tail. Then another was shot up, intensifying the light again. 
Then came a few quick bursts of machine gun fire and exploding grenades. Dora felt the bellship shake and she passed out. looking man with soot in his face and a green uniform stood above Dora as she squinted her eyes trying to open them. Where am I? What happened? Did you save me? She looked around and saw that it was early morning. Bodies of white tunics stained by blood lay here and there on the sandy ground. It too stained here and there by blood. Behind her was the carcass of the large bellship with a few flames still burning. In a corner of the castle wall sat a group of men and the five ladies with their hands tied. The sun burned in Dora's eyes. The man in the green uniform tried to talk to her again. Are you okay, Dora? They told me this was your name, he said and pointed towards the corner. She nodded. Do you feel any pain anywhere? She shook her head slowly to the sides. I think I'm okay, she said and looked up towards the man. He was wearing a red star pin surrounded by a stroke of gold on his collar. You are not from the red star in the constellation of the ox, are you? She asked, her voice trembling, filled with worry. The what? Oh, you mean this, he said and pointed at his pin when he saw where her eyes had fixed. This is a symbol of the world's united workers. It can be any star in the sky that you like. Thank you, said Dora, unsure what to say. How did you know I was here? She continued. We first noticed some migratory birds here at the castle last week and guessed that somebody had been setting up camp here, accidentally leaving out food for the Wanderfogels. Since then we have kept it under surveillance from a camp in the mountains, just across the river over there. The man turned around and pointed somewhere Dora couldn't see because of the intensity of the morning sun. We tracked several high officials of the National Socialists party to this place. When they raised their banner and lit the torches yesterday night, we moved in to make our strike. We didn't know we would end up saving you as well. Van der Vogel? asked Dora. Did Gusto help you find me? He's a Wandervogel. I will be a Wandervogel with him. What? No, I mean actual birds that came to nest here because of the food. I see. Dora felt embarrassed. What should I do now? She asked the man, who now looked as confused as she felt. I don't know, Dora. Do you want to join us and fight the people who took you here? Do you know how to use a gun or cook? I think I would like that. I know how to cook and grow vegetables. I could learn how to shoot a gun. I went hunting once. Okay then, you should rest here for now. Some of us will take the prisoners back to München. We have raised the red banner on top of the keep over there. Can you see? This is our castle now. The man with the red star lowered his hand and looked over at his shoulder towards one of his comrades who was calling him. Wait, before you leave, Dora said quickly, 
Yes? The man turned back towards Dora, straightening his jacket. That bell ship, Dora pointed behind her at the burning structure. What was it? I don't know. It seems to be nothing but a wooden chariot. We didn't find anything useful there. Just shelves of old books about old Germanic fairy tales and other European folklore. Some caskets of drugs and... Oh yes, we did find one thing that was of interest. What was it? Well, our comrade from Italy, a revolutionary theorist from just across the ridge there. The man pointed at the mountains before he continued. A funny looking fellow, short with a big head who walks awkwardly. He writes under the pseudonym Alpha Gamma, AG being his initials. Anyways, he said that now since we know that these uh, right-wing industrialists organize underground in various pseudo-religious fraternities, we have a better chance of finding them. One book in there contained long lists of their donors and membership names. All that is left for us now is to visit a few of the big cities in Europe and America. And then he gestured with his hands as if he was holding his rifle and smiled towards Dora. So it wasn't a spaceship. Spaceship? You sure you're right, Dora? I'll have some of the men bring you more water. I really have to get going. Time is always against us. Here, if you like stars and space so much, take this. He unbuttoned his pin and attached it to the pocket of her white farmer shirt. I'll see you real soon, yeah? We have a revolution to win. Dora looked after the man as he walked towards the prisoners, telling them to get up. The men in the white tunics formed a miserable row and were pushed ahead through one of the gates of the castle wall by the others in green jackets. As they disappeared one after the other, she felt the sun's light becoming more gentle. Someone else's words 
dying to believe in what you heard. I was staring straight into the shining sun. Epilog 
All right, that was the Halloween special. Thank you for listening, dear listener. I hope you had a good time. This was uh, a first attempt at some short storytelling. If you liked it, please DM me and tell me that you would like to see more things like (laughs) that. You would like to hear more things like this. Uh, I have written some short stories in English before in uh, literary circles back in Shanghai, which sounds a lot cooler than it was now that I say it. Uh, Also, I have one Finnish novel in Swedish, but I'm not sure if I'm going to make a translation out of it. It started off as an English book, but then I was feeling uh, ambivalent (laughs) about the result. Well, but we will see. Thank you so much to the new Patreons. And I'm sorry that there was a slight delay. We're two days past the uh, All Hallows Eve now. But, you know, what can you do? What can you do? I've um, I've added a, a bit of a key or a, you know, like a walkthrough to the story down in the description. Together with some books that I used for research. Uh, all the uh, people in the story, I guess except the... Um, the main protagonists, uh, Lisa, Dora and, and Greta. Well, Lisa and Greta disappeared quite early. They are fictional. Lisa is, of course, you know, a fictional daughter of Rudolf Steiner. And uh, Dora, well, that's a play on a, on a name in one of uh, Freud's uh, case reports about Dora. Well, the most famous one. The one he also uses in the dream interpretation, I think, in the beginning. Or maybe not. Maybe not. I can't remember. Uh, It's a case of hysteria, maybe. Yeah. Uh, Anyways. Um, Not all the people who appear in the story do the things that I'm saying that they're doing. I try to be, you know, somewhat accurate. But uh, if you want to know more about, you know, the the societies, the places... um, like Monteverita was a real place and uh, yeah it's a kind of the birth of uh, the counterculture and then as you can tell from the story it was later um, co-opted by the Nazis as so many things were that were a part of like the workers movement and the general kind of leftist socialist uh, uh, tendency during the time uh, I'm not gonna have a discussion about oh is it actually socialist me, 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 me. yeah <laughs> as if words mean that much I don't know I mean I'm a Lacanian I don't have that much faith in words to think that was Hitler a socialist oh yes have you seen the flag it's red <laughs> it explains everything <laughs> morons shut the fuck up it's so annoying. Every fucking week on YouTube there's a new video about somebody figuring this out. Yeah. I hope this story was something else, you know. As I say, I don't want to criticize that. Let them do what they do. Here's my attempt at doing something different. To blur the lines, as it were. Um, so that we know for the future what to avoid. Um, yes. I think... Uh, with that, I thank you again, and I'll leave you to it. Look in the description. And uh, yeah, as always, uh, 
try to share the word if you did like what you heard and uh, see you all in about two weeks <laughs>